Hi, welcome to Wisdom Radio. This is Andy Height. And today we are going out of body with Albert Taylor. He is a NASA aeronautical engineer. Well, he's a former NASA aeronautical engineer and space researcher. Now he dedicates himself to exploring the outer limits of another kind. Albert Taylor has been having out-of-body experiences his entire life, and he really wanted to set out to understand them. Many other uh, people in his family were running and hiding. They were also having these experiences. He thinks it just runs in his family. And But being scientifically minded, he wanted to understand what was happening, why it was happening, and if he could scientifically figure out how other people could also have out-of-body experiences and repeat his own experiences. I've actually read his book and I've tried some of his techniques and they work. So I'm excited to bring you Albert Taylor. He, I interviewed him a few years ago, back when Wisdom Radio wasn't as well known. I didn't have as many listeners back then when I was just starting out, but he was one of my favorite interview subjects. So I wanted to bring this out back into the light of day so you could listen to it, learn from it, enjoy it. He's a real joy to, uh, to interview. Um, I took two hours, cut it down to one, and it's packed full of not only interesting details about his life, but more importantly, sorry, Albert, <laughs> how you can use what he's learned for your own explorations out of body. And he says it is absolutely something we all do every night, nothing to be afraid of, and it can greatly enrich your life. So I bring you now Albert Taylor. Enjoy. Well, originally I was just trying to um, find out if there was something um, genetically wrong with, with me because not, because it's not just happening to me, it's happening to several members in my family. So I wasn't looking for... I didn't even know the term astral projection. I thought it was astro like the dog on a Jetson, so I didn't even know. I wasn't looking for any type of strange phenomenon or anything like that. I was just trying to solve why, why I was having these issues. Um, and primarily it was um, the um, night paralysis that I would have like two or three times a week. And then, um, and that's been going on since I was five. The earliest memory I have of night paralysis is um, going to bed when I was a little kid and, and waking up in the middle of the night and feeling paralyzed and something humanoid shaped was at the foot of my bed calling my name. So wow. that was my introduction into the, this phenomenon that um, later on I began to just try to find some kind of logical explanation for. That, that, that must have been pretty terrifying as a little kid. It was very scary. I mean, as a five-year-old, especially my family's from the South, and uh, my grandmother was living with us at the time. So when I was finally able to move and and um, and get past this thing that was calling my name, saying Albert like that, mm-hmm. I ran into her room, terrified, and woke her up and said, "I was paralyzed. I couldn't move, and there's someone in my room calling my name." And my grandmother, being the old wise superstitious person she was, she patted me on the head and said, oh, that was just a witch coming to steal your soul because you did something bad. <laughs> so go on back to bed now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Needless to say, five-year-old, I went back to bed, but I stared at the ceiling with the covers practically around my, you know, every or my, my head, peering out from one little peek hole from the covers, terrified. And that's, 
that was the beginning, and it went on like that for, um, felt like years. I mean, terrified. Now, now was your grandmother uh, a supporter? Was she somebody who had similar experiences? No, she was not a supporter of it. Uh, they, everybody in my family dreads the phenomenon. They never get past the, the voices and the paralysis. They fight them with their way out of it. I, I was the only one because it started happening to me sometimes three times a night about um, 15 to, to uh, 16 years ago, maybe more. It was before 1996. Mm-hmm. I was the only one that actually started doing some type of experiment and research on it. Like I said, I was looking for an, a physical abnormality or genetic abnormality. Mm-hmm. And um, in the course of just trying to find out some type of medical explanation for it, I ended up discovering some things very spiritual that changed my life. Do you think uh, the fact that you're a scientist by, by trade, by, you know, in your career, that that helped you to look at it from a scientific perspective and, and release your fear and try to figure out what was actually happening? Oh, without a doubt, because I didn't believe in any of this stuff. So it wasn't about, um, I, I, I didn't believe in life after death. I didn't leave, believe in ghosts and spirits and you know, I, I, I was training astronauts on the, on, and Johnson Space Center on how to assemble the space station in orbit. That, you know, that's a real science world that I come from. Mm-hmm. And, and this kind of uh, belief system and, and talk about this kind of thing is, is unheard of in those surroundings. So right. um, it, it, it was uh, something that I definitely looked at logically. I did not, I was not superstitious about it, um, even though my grandmother had done her best to, to imprint that upon me. Um, I, and I was just looking for methodically, trying, and one of the things that we scientists like to do is we like to repeat a, an experiment over and over again and, and hopefully get the same results, and only then do we actually come up with some type of hypo- hypothesis on what we're finding, our findings. So that's what I was doing as I was trying to repeat the process as many times as possible and explore it a little bit more and more each time it happened to me and just come up with some kind of idea as to what was going on. So talk, talk us through that a little bit. So you're on this path to try to find the answer. At what point did you realize that it wasn't genetic or, you know, that it was something else going on there? Well, there were certain things that were, I was also happening in my life that I didn't know was connected to it. Um, one of the things I used to tell my mother when I was little is I wake up in my dreams. And what I meant by that is I realize I'm dreaming. I become fully aware within a dream, and then I can change the dream. And I've been doing that, and a lot of people call that lucid dreaming, but I've been doing that since I was very, very little. And another thing that I've been doing in my dreams that I thought were dreams was flying. I fly in my dreams all the time, and I've been doing that since I was a little kid. And not just flying uncontrolled, I wake up in the dream, and then I take control of the dream, and then I fly. So I didn't know that the the paralysis and the voices that I was hearing and seeing this image at the end of my bed was related to flying and uh, waking and becoming alert in the dream. And another thing um, I didn't realize is that I would often, uh, either right before drifting off to sleep or waking up from a nap, I would feel like I, I was vibrating, like the bed was shaking or something like that. Or sometimes I would feel like I'm being pressed down into the bed, like my body has become extremely heavy. Or if you, if you misinterpret it wrong, cor- incorrectly, 
um, you feel as if someone, something is pushing you down to the bed. So all of those things were very disconnected throughout my entire life, and I had no idea that all of those things were related to the same thing, and that is the out-of-body experience. Well, it's uh, something I think that I personally can relate to because I, I have had that sensation of flying in my dreams and almost being able to control whether I'm going up or down. I, I heard you, um, I guess around two years ago, I had heard an interview with you and I went out and got your book and I, and I learned some of your techniques, which I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about today. Um, and I got as far as like hearing a train or something mm-hmm. really loud and I mm-hmm. got, and I got scared and, uh, and I sort of stopped the experience. You were so close. That, that is uh, awesome. I love it when people tell me that um, uh, some of the techniques or things that I've shared with them actually help them along their path of achieving this also. The train, these little things that happen are like road signs. Um, the, 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 the noise that you heard, I bet it was extremely loud. Yeah. And like so loud that if it were a physical noise, it may have even ruptured your eardrums. Yeah, yeah, and that's part scary. of it. That just means that you're headed down the right path. Now, the reason you were afraid is because we humans, and it has served as well when we were primitive humans, is that we have a fear of the unknown. And that means if we're walking through some jungle or something or some cave area with our sister or siblings and we heard a crack in the bushes of a twig snapping or something like that, and we didn't know what it was, chances are it was some predator or something going to eat us and our fear would kick in and we would adrenaline would kick in and we'd get ourselves hopefully out of that situation Mm -hmm. well that doesn't serve us in this type of environment when you're safe and sound and you're just you're experiencing something that you've done so many times throughout your entire life it's just now you're starting to become more aware of what it is so you uh, in your book soul traveler you you talk a little bit about this um, uh, consciously uh, tra- traveling. Um, so is this something that you think people do every night? Oh, definitely. Um, but only a small percentage. Remember, um, I'd say 99% of us, if not 100% of us, have uh, out-of-body experiences every night. But only about 25 to 29, maybe 30% of us actually have conscious recall of it. But that experience is not erased. It's, in, it's within us somewhere. And there are techniques that um, I've been working on to increase the memory of the experience. And I've been so far, I just got back from London and I was able to test it out there. So far, I'm up about 60% of the people um, moving up from that 30 to about 60% and then sometimes 70. So that means about six to seven people out of 10 can actually increase their ability to recall their memories of having an out-of-body experience. Can you tell us about one of your favorites, uh, your own personal favorite out-of-body experiences that really convinced you that there was something else going on here? Well, I'd have to say no one particular did, but there was a series of ones that slowly opened the door to to changing my perspective profoundly, uh, not only on life and death on, on, on earth, my life and death and others, but um, actually what the meaning of life is. And, I mean, we've been trying to figure out the meaning of life for a very, very, very long time. But I can tell you that 
You know, I'm a member of what's called the International Association of Near-Death Studies, and it's uh, I've been a member for about, I don't know, 17 to 20 years or so. It's all over the world, uh, and basically in, in America alone, we have 8 million people who have actually, uh, their, their life vital functions have ceased in one way or another through accident, surgery, or whatever, and they've been uh, clinically dead for even up to, sometimes people have been, um, actually f- pushed into the morgue, like as in Daniel Brinkley's case. Oh um, but, was, um, yeah, talk about frightening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you wake up, Daniel woke up with a sheet over him. But um, but a lot of people find themselves floating above their body and and um, maybe seeing the, the, the operating room or something like that. But the thing with me is I haven't had a trauma to my body. I've just had, I've been having these experiences. So... One of the things I wanted to do is I joined IONS, and, and I hear their stories about seeing the light. You heard, you've heard that before. Right, absolutely. Or, you know, I saw the light, and the light spoke to me. It was, like, it was God. It was Jesus. Mm-hmm. It was an angel, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. Uh, depending on your belief system, that kind of filters through to what they, how they see or uh, interpret the experience. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, after trying all kinds of things, visiting friends, and describing their locations, which I, I should not have been able to describe because I'd never been there physically. That was part of the pieces of the puzzle to convince me that this was something real. But the one that really changed me profoundly, um, I'd say, would be um, when I saw my deceased aunt. Um, and you know, I was at a pallbearer at her funeral, and I knew she had passed, and I was thinking, is this a dream? Or, I mean, am I having a dream about my aunt? And why would I dream about her? Her when I really, she wasn't my favorite aunt, but, you know, I, I never thought about her. And it happened on more than one occasion. Now, the thing that happened was when I, when I did see her when I was out of my physical body, in the astral body, second body, or whatever you want to call it, um, the communication that I was doing with her was not just, I could hear things, even though I knew we weren't speaking with with our lips and moving air over our vocal cords, I knew that we weren't doing that, so it had to be some type of mental telepathy of some sort. But the other thing that really made an impact on me is we were exchanging emotions too. It was mm-hmm. so it was an audible communication and emotional communication, and with the emotional communication, there's no no lies, there's no conce- there's nothing to conceal. You're getting. The inform- I mean, you're getting everything about the person in its purest form. Mm-hmm. And so what was happening during that exchange, and some people call it thought packages, you know, whatever you call it, uh, rose by any other name is still as well as a sweet. But what happened was while that we were exchanging that, I realized something is that I was, I was no different than her. The only thing is, is I had a physical body to come back to. And with that exchange, and it happened over more than one time, more, more than one, one night, um, I lost the fear of death completely. Wow. I mean, it wasn't something I thought, I'm not going to believe in death. It wasn't an intellectual um, choice. It was just, it does, it does, I don't believe in it. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist because of the, the experience I had with my aunt. So no. that changed me mm-hmm. profoundly. And um, that's kind of, that was similar to what a lot of people who've had near-death experiences describe, except 
I hadn't had the trauma that they talked about. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the big changes. And the other one was when um, coupled onto that is that I did want to see the light. And I did try to see the light. And I asked for it. And I had this encounter with this brilliant source of 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 uh, light and and illumination that was so amazing. Um, if it, if I had physical eyes, it would have burned my eyes right out or my retina. Oh. Um, shards of it were actually penetrating whatever form I was in, spirit form, you know, soul body, whatever you call it. Um, the shards coming off of it, like sparkler shards, like you'd have on the 4th of July, mm -hmm. they were coming off of it and actually penetrating me. And one of the things that I realized is that two things I realized that were so profoundly uh, important and that changed me forever is that, first of all, I was home. This, that was my natural state of consciousness, mm -hmm. is to be in there mm -hmm. like that. And the other one was that I was emotionally naked meaning that, like I described right. before with my aunt, but on a greater scale, is that everything I was, everything I'd ever been, everything I'd ever thought was out there on the table for review from this, <laughs> this, this source. And, and this source was conscious. It wasn't just an object. It was mm -hmm. a consciousness. And, but the, this is the thing that really got me, is that the love that I felt coming from no judgment on everything, all my weaknesses and little things that I judge myself on, sure. it was not judging me on. Mm -hmm. And after that ended, I returned to the physical body, and I remember opening my eyes up, and I was laying on my pillow, and the joy and bliss that I felt was so intense that tears rolled mm -hmm. out of my eyes onto mm -hmm. my pillow. Mm -hmm. And that, mm -hmm. I have to say, coupled with, with my aunt, is was so profound and, and changed me forever, and it it motivates me to do everything I do today. Wow, that's really a great story. Was your aunt able to give you any insight into what it was like over there, or were, or was it more of a general emotional exchange? No, I hadn't even gotten past the environment. It was the encounter with this non-physical entity that I was familiar with. Sure. That was what I was focused on to even go beyond I had later on I would have other experiences as far as finding out what's it what it is like on the other side the other different and then when I say other sides it's when I say other side it's really other sides plural mm. because there's multiple locations that are there and depending on the vibration of your soul consciousness mm -hmm. the, the higher vibration the more access to uh, non-physical locations you have. So it was, that's how I found out that later. My aunt was, didn't share that with me, but she shared something that was vitally important, and that was to, to really realize and know, not just believe, know who I really am and what I really am. Because without those, that, that information, it's hard to overcome the fear that you talked about. Mm. And the fear will hold you back, and I never would have gained access to the other areas and the higher vibrational areas that I explored if I was still um, being puppeted by the fear. Are there, um, are there entities in that realm that are lower vib vibrational um, that... Um well, in one of these um, dreams that I that I had, and maybe it was an out of body experience, I I felt like I was f floating along a street, 
and there were beings or people below me almost trying to reach up and grab my ankles Mm -hmm. and pull me down. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, to, to think loving thoughts and, 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 and uh, thankful thoughts. And it's sort of like I started to like raise up in a way. And I was always wondered if that was a dream or if that may be um, something else going on there. Are there entities that, that you encounter that are less than desirable? Um, you asked me quite, you said quite a few things in there I want to touch on. You, you were wondering if it were a dream or not. The thing is, is that if, when you have a dream or an out-of-body experience, it's not like flipping a light switch, either white or black. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. What it is is that there is a gray area between the two where you become some dream material can be mixed in with the out-of-body experience, too. So it could have been both is what it mm-hmm. is. And, okay. and as far as the vibration, the other the beings on the other side, this is kind of the uh, analogy or example that I share with people to kind of give them an idea of the difference between where we are now physically and where you can go or what it's like on the other side. Imagine having a glass beaker about three feet tall. And what I do, do is I fill up half, half of that beaker with dirt, just dry dirt. And then I take a pitcher of water, which represents the astral plane, and I start to fill up this beaker with that water. Now, the dirt represents the physical plane where we are now, mm-hmm. and the astral plane is the water. Now, as you look at the bottom, as, as I, I fill up the beaker, and you go to the bottom of the beaker, the dirt is very, very dry where the water hasn't penetrated yet. And as you start moving up that, that scale, and that's the vibrational scale of how things are on the other side, and here, because things vibrate here, too, but as you start moving up, you start getting to the part where the water is starting to mix with the, the dirt and create mud, a very mm-hmm. muddy substance. Mm-hmm. And then as you move further up, there's less and less dirt, and it's just a turbid uh, kind of uh, um, um, cloudy kind of area. Mm-hmm. And then you move further and further up, and it starts getting clearer and clearer and clearer, where there's no physical, no dirt whatsoever. It's just water. Mm-hmm. So down in the muddy area... Part of the astral plane and the, and the earth plane, physical plane, where we are now, is together. So that's why you can see ghosts and things like that in that area, because that's the lower vibrational area where the two mix together. But then as you start moving up higher, then what it, let's, say, let's say there's a scale of from 1 to 10, from the muddy area is 1 and the clear area is 10. Well, spirits who vibrate at, a, let's say, a 3, will be in that, they can, they can access areas from 3 to 1, but they can't access areas from 4 to 10. You understand? Mm-hmm. You get me? Mm-hmm. So, but spirits vibrating at a 6 or 7 or 8 level can access levels all the way from 8 down to 1 and 0 even. Okay. But, but they can't access levels from 9 and 10. Higher, even higher beings have in a broader range of access areas. Okay. But you, but us, when we travel, each and every one of us are, is affected by not only our thoughts and things like that, but actual deeds and, and things that we've done throughout this lifetime and other lifetimes. It is, and now those things, those learnings and teachings and experiences all add up to, to uh, a vibration of our soul. It, it can elevate it, increase it, and in some negative acts that we may commit can actually lower it. 
So as we're astral travelers, we're traveling out into this realm, if depending on each and our vibration, maybe I can access level six in that beaker. Maybe I can access, maybe, matter of fact, the astral plane is like level one, let's say, mm-hmm. level one and two. But to go to level three, and that's not the astral plane anymore. And that's why they call the astral body the astral body, because it is a vehicle to maneuver around the astral plane only. So in order mm-hmm. to go to a higher plane, you have to be able to leave that body. See, you are not your astral body. It's just like a suit of clothing like your physical body is right now. So it's, it's so, sort of like a double dip, like you're going Exactly. Twice. <laughs> so you, we shared our physical body uh, in level one. We shared our astral body in level two. And then we're in our soul body in level three. And that doesn't necessarily have to be humanoid shape or have appendages. It is what you ever, ever you project it to be. And that's more of your core being and who you really are. Wow. And that's like, uh, I like to say, a spark off the old, old, old block. That's really similar to the light source that everybody talks about as God. That's where that, that is a spark or a chip off of that source of light. And that's who you are. That's your light body. Hmm. Well, that's very interesting. And um, so when you're in this, you had mentioned before that you encountered that light body with the shards coming mm-hmm. off of it. You're still attached to your physical body yeah. through some, I guess, through some sort of, uh, you describe it as like a silver cord or some. some... Well, I, I, I don't talk about the silver cord because I look for it and I think I have ideas on that. But you are definitely connected. Okay. You're not separated from your physical or the astral body or any of the body. You're all linked together. You, I, like, for instance, if I'm encountering the light uh, at level 7 or 10, I can tell whether my body, well, let's say um, someone's in the bed or, or someone comes into the room. I can tell something's going on with that physical body. Let's say that body has to use the restroom. It just has a full bladder. I still am aware of that. And over a period of time, no matter, because it's a lot of fun being outside of your body, Andy. I can't even begin <laughs> to tell you. It's not all spiritual school. It's a lot of fun. But the longest I've been able to stay out, because I timed it when I left and when I came back, is about two hours. Wow. So if I try to push beyond the two hours, what happens is, and this is to, to, to maybe squelch the fear of some people out there, because I get a lot of letters of people asking me, will I get lost? Will I not be able to return to my body? Well, to, to push past the three hours, I mean, into, into the third hour, I, you start getting this overwhelming recall to come back to the physical body. <laughs> the longer you stay out, the stronger it gets. And it gets to the point well, I, I figured out a couple things that I can do to prolong it just a little bit where I can stay out, but eventually there's going to be a recall and you're going to be drawn back to your physical body and reconnect and wake up. It's interesting. I've heard uh, shamans call that recall. Uh, they say, oh, you got a call back, like a, like a, boom, like a drum or a, do you ever like hear something or how do you, what's your experience with that callback? It's just, um, it's, it's like um, an overwhelming it's like gravity, like an urge. Um, you know how a woman's having a baby and you say, don't push, don't push yet. And she says, I feel like I have to push. Yeah. Well, before she had that experience, she never had that experience. Right. She never felt it. Yeah. But all of a sudden, there's this urge that she can't explain to do something. Okay. And that's what it's like. It's like this urge you never felt before. 
well, you know, you get used to it after you travel out of body a lot, but initially you don't know what that is, but it doesn't feel abnormal. It just feels like you need to comply yeah. and, and go with the program. Sure, go, go back. Yeah. Um, now, if people who are listening are interested in trying to consciously experience the out-of-body experience, one of the things you said earlier was that pretty much most of us are probably doing this every night without remembering it. Right. Um, but if you want to consciously go into an out-of-body, help us understand why one wants to be conscious, what the advantages are, and then maybe after that we can talk a little bit about some of the techniques one can use. Okay, well, uh, you know, the reason that you do is because, remember, I, I told you how uh, profoundly it affected me. So if, if you're having these kind of experiences and they can help you in your everyday life to overcome or to even be strong in the face of adversity, you definitely want to have this kind of experience because you don't have to, it doesn't cost anything. I mean, even, I, I don't even tell people you have to go out and buy my book. I'm in the library, public library. So if you want, you can go to the public library and get my book. It's not about buying a copy. It's about the message within my book and the techniques that I listed to help you empower yourself. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not about me. It's not sure. about following me. So uh, that's one of the big things is that it will change your life and it's it's free and it's ex and it's and it's almost it's like you would say a God-given right of every you know conscious soul on this planet to be able to discover mm -hmm. who they really are. Sure. You know. So that's one of the reasons you would want to now. Um, one of the tech I, I experiment with a lot of techniques and one of the things I I was trying to do is I was just trying to duplicate what was causing it to ha happen naturally. Now, so you remember, I wasn't going out trying to achieve this. I was trying to understand what was already happening to me. So during the process, I experimented and I repeated the same things I did throughout the day to the letter just because I didn't know what exactly was triggering it or the combination of things I was doing that would trigger it, like what time I would go to sleep, when I would eat, what I was thinking about, uh, was I stressed out, uh, the location of the moon, all kinds of parameters. In order, I was just trying to document as much as I could and then narrow it down to what was actually causing it to happen. So I kind of got lucky, and I stumbled upon what I, I call the interrupted sleep technique. And uh, what that is is I would find out that I would have more of these experiences on nights that I would go to bed kind of early and then wake up in the middle of the night and stay up for a little while, then go back to bed. So what I started doing is developing a little uh, technique, a process for actually accomplishing this. And so this is how the process is. And, and I hope a lot of your listeners try this over the next few days. Don't, don't try it when you have to go to work in the morning because you're going to be sorry, but <laughs> try it on a day where you can sleep in. So what you do is you eat uh, food, your dinner, about 6 o'clock. And the reason for that is because everything your body does uses energy, breathing, walking, even processing food. That energy is needed when you achieve an altered state of consciousness. So you want your body to be done processing food and using tapping into your, your energy reservoir, so to speak. So that's why you eat early. Then you go to bed about four hours later, which is about 10 o'clock. You set your alarm clock to wake yourself up at 1 o'clock in the morning. So then you go to sleep. When the alarm clock goes off, 
you get out of bed. Don't just hit the, the snooze button. Right. Get out of bed, but don't do any exercise and don't eat anything. You can drink water, but just kind of relax. You can uh, uh, listen to tapes of your show. <laughs> or, or you can read a book. This is what I suggest: read a book on out-of-body experiences, something they had to kind of put it into your thoughts sure. on what you're doing. You know, you can watch a little hour television show. Nothing to get you real excited, scared, or enthusiastic, or you know, you just want to stay awake for about an hour, and that's going to be hard enough. And then you go back to bed about two o'clock in the morning. So now what you do is you lay down in the bed and you get perfectly as comfortable as you possibly can. And that, and that means don't have a lot of pillows under your neck because you're getting, when your soul, spirit, leaves the physical body, the body doesn't thrash around and get comfortable while you're gone. It stays in that location. And that means if your neck is propped up in a really bad posture kind of, type, of, type, uh, type of way, you, when you come back, you're going to re reconnect with your body and your neck is going to be hurting. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure you get really comfortable. Get all your itching and scratching and, and wiping and tickling your nose and whatever you're going to do. Get all that out of the way because once you start the process, you cannot move for any reason. And trust me, that's going to be hard. So then you're laying there on, flat on your back or as comfortable as you possibly can. You can be on your side. There's no dogma to this. You can be even on your stomach. It's just a little harder. But let's just say for this purpose, we're going to talk about the earth position, as they call it, and that's laying mm -hmm. on your, flat on your back. Okay. So you lay flat on your back. If you need to relieve some of the tension in your lower back, put a pillow up under your knees to take off some of the tension so you can be more comfortable, and then lay perfectly still. Now, as you're laying there, what you do is you begin to concentrate on some, only one thing. And because your mind is going to be cluttered with tons of, of, of your bills and, and even will I be able to do this? What's going to be happening? Is there somebody coming here? You're going to be thinking all these thoughts. And all these thoughts are going to slow you down, so to speak. But the advantage you have is that your physical body requires more sleep. And no matter, if you stay perfectly still, no matter how hard you would try to stay awake, your body's going to fall asleep. There's no way it's going to stay awake because it needs more sleep. So that's the advantage that you have. So you lay perfectly still and concentrate on one thing like your breathing, just in and out, in and out. Simple, something very simple. Or concentrate on a circle between the, your eyebrows. When you close your eyes, imagine that little a screen right there, and there's just a circle there, and just concentrate on that circle. Now, what you're trying to do is that it's kind of like, have you ever been on the freeway driving, and you're tired, mm -hmm. and for that brief second, you nod out for a minute? I hate to say it, yeah. Yeah, everybody <laughs> happens to all of us, and, you know, hopefully all of us have awakened and, and kept continuing to drive, but what, no matter how hard you, tr how hard you tried, your body shut down for a second. Right. Well, now you're in a safe environment, and your body needs to shut down again just like that, except now you're laying flat in your back. You don't have to worry about waking up, waking up on the freeway doing 70 or something like that. You can, you can let your body drift off. But the thing is, is that if you don't concentrate, if your consciousness doesn't con concentrate on something very simple to grasp onto, it will fall asleep with the body. And you'll go into that REM sleep uh, dream state. So what you're doing is uh, focusing on one object long enough to lay there perfectly still 
while your body drops off to sleep. And when it does drop off to sleep, all of a sudden there's a big separation. Now, you might start hearing a loud roaring sound, uh, something that sounds like a sizzling sound, electrical sound. Um, you could hear music, chiming tones. Um, they're all going to be extreme volume, so you'll know the difference between just the radio or the neighbors going on the radio. It'll be extremely loud. Okay. You may feel uh, like the bed is shaking, like a vibration. That's, and right. not, That's what I felt. Yeah, and, yeah. and not like um, uh, random. It's an oscillation because what it is is you're tapping into the vibration of your, so your, your astral body. You may start feeling the density of your physical body, which may feel like somebody's pressing you into the bed. But all that is is that you becoming aware of the physical density of the physical body and the difference between that and the lighter density of the higher vibrational astral body. So that's why you become more aware of that. And then another thing is you might become aware of, if the slower this process of separation is, the more things that you can become aware of. I like to call them road signs. But that's okay. That's good. The, one of the last things you become aware of is that you may feel as if you're having pr- trouble breathing. And what that is is that you've got to release control of the breath. Let your body go into automatic because it will. But we're not used to that consciously. We're, we're always thinking we are breathing, forcing our bodies to breathe in and out. We forget our bodies will do that if we're unconscious and while we sleep. So that's when you feel like you're, you can't breathe, but what that is is just letting go and relaxing, which is hard to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people describe it as a mini-death. Well, kind of it is, but death is not what you think it is. It's not permanent. So once you get, if you release that, then you may feel as if you're floating or you may not move anywhere. So the thing is, is asking you shall receive is you, what you say, I want to float upward. And you may start feeling some movement. It may be pitch black where you can't see either, and you say, I want to see. And it's really that simple. And all of a sudden, you'll be able to see. Now, one of the things I noticed when I started doing this is I wear glasses, but I didn't go to sleep with my glasses on. And when I said, I want to see, I could see the room very clearly. Mm-hmm. And I now knew something was different because normally I can't see the room that clear without my glasses. So that will happen. So then what I recommend to people is don't, Get in, get in over your head. Don't say, I'm going to visit Aunt Susie in the Bahamas the first time. No, just get used to what the astral body feels like. Move, flow, move around the room if you can. Um, look at your physical body, which will be hard enough because when you look at it, it will want to pull you back in. Um, but just get used to the vehicle and how it functions because it's, it, it's a doppelganger of your physical body the only thing is, is it's not subject to gravity and physical lo- the physical laws like the density of walls and things like that. So it, it, it has a, a hands, if you want to call them that, like appendages that look like fingers. They're glow, but they really yeah. Did they glow? Did they glow? They gl- yeah. They don't they don't look like skin <laughs> like your hand normal hand does. It looks like imagine if your hand was made of saran wrap. And then it had a lot of little lights moving through it. Ooh. And so it's transparent, yet there's energy and stuff and, that you can see in there. And the glow around your fingers is part of your hand. So that glow you can sense things with without actually touching it with the saran part, too, also. It's kind, of, it's kind of strange to describe, but you'll notice the difference. And that's what I recommend to people. If you find yourself out of your body, look at your hands. 
because that's going to be the first thing that's going to let you know this is not a dream. This is something very, very different. And then so once you get used to that, then the next times experiment with moving around your house. Experiment with different types of mobility because you can fly, you can slide, you can not even, you don't even have to move through the room. You can cease to be in one room and rematerialize in another room. And that's a little bit more advanced, but you can do that. So, but through the, pro- through the experimentation process, you'll discover the different things that you can do. Touch the walls, touch the blanket. You'll find out not only can you feel the blanket, but you can sense every fiber, every thread within that blanket. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can move through objects, move through the wall, move your hand through the dresser, do, you know, and get used to it. But this is the thing, and this is what you have to be aware of. Because a lot of people are afraid of the unknown, and a lot of people are afraid of ghosts and things like that. So uh, when you're in this state, uh, that's that muddy area that I talked about. And if you're afraid of ghosts, that's like being afraid of the uh, fish, of, uh, of going into the ocean and being afraid of fish. That's oh, where they you're are. Gonna, you're going to see them. Okay. You're going to see them. It's not if. It's a matter of when. It might happen right away. It might not happen right away. But that's where they are. So be aware of that. But this is the thing, is that you're really not on uneven ground unless you think you are. Because you have advantages. You're just like them, except you have an advantage where you can return to your physical body. So, but, it, but most of us, because we're products of Hollywood, we've watched all these ghost movies, and the ghosts always do horrible things to the living. Well, most of us have that imprinted in us, and we automatically think, first of all, it's an unknown, and I've seen, you know, the movies, and I know what ghosts do, and and we think that, but that's not what it is. You're very much on even ground, but it's like you have to take possession of that, take control of that, take ownership of that, and realize it, and you can't be harmed. I mean, they're, they're not all, just because a person passes away and they're on the other side doesn't make them an angel and doesn't make them a devil, doesn't make them mm-hmm. evil. Mm-hmm. They may have some of the character defects they had when they were in life. They may want to play jokes on you, or they may not. It's just like walking. You, there's no, you, you should be no more afraid of having these experiences and encounters as you are afraid of going to the ATM mm-hmm. at the bank, mm-hmm. outside the bank, or to the store. Because there's all kinds of people that you can run into, but the vast majority are going to be very friendly people. Right. So don't worry about that. And, and those people who say negative things about this and that you need to be afraid, and, and, and if you feel like you need to surround yourself with white light, by my all means, do it. Mm-hmm. Because the object here is to experience this with as, 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 as little amount of fear as possible. Mm-hmm. Because if you let your fear run wild because one of the things that happens in this state of consciousness is that emotions are magnified tenfold so that's why you feel the love emotion as being the most intense love you've ever felt in your life compares to nothing on the the physical body but on the other end of the spectrum fear is going to be the most intense fear if you let it run amok you know, it's going to be the most intense fear that you've ever felt. And it's just the sheer intensity of the fear is going to fool you and convince you that you, the, it's justified and what you're afraid of is really going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a kind of a cascade. 
and you're going to think, oh, this must be real because I've never felt this kind of intense fear, and, and so on and so on, and you're going to draw some conclusions, and what you're going to do is you're going to create a prison mm-hmm. of your own, uh, based on fear that's going to limit you. So, so, so stay in the love space uh, in the assumption that everyone around you is uh, on even ground, and uh, there's no fear. Now, also, be, the way that you're describing doing this out-of-body experience, um, you could always say, okay, well, this is enough for tonight, and just look back at your body and go back. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's the thing. Is if that's what you need to do, then do that. You be, and because it's like I, I use the analogy of a kitten. You know, I'm a cat lover. I like cats. Mm-hmm. And, I, and if you bring a cat home from the, the pound, a little kitten, and you put them in your, your living room, they're very unfamiliar with the, the territory, and all of a sudden it's bigger than their cage, and they're going to run to some little area and, and stay there and hide until they become uh, um, secure and know that there's nothing out there to harm them. So over a few peri- a period of a few days, uh, it's going to slowly explore its surroundings, and eventually that cat's going to be running all around the house, running everywhere because it knows that this is a secure environment. But then one day you, you open the door, front door, and you go out to wait for the mailman, and you leave your front door open. Well, that cat's going to see, oh, my God, there's a whole new environment out there, and it's going to come to the door and peek out. It's, but it's very apprehensive. And then the, when the mailman pulls up in his rumbling truck, the sound of that unfamiliar sound and whatever that is is going to be enough to startle that kitten, and it's going to run back in the house to its secure spot. But if over a period of time you keep doing this, opening the door and going out to see the mailman, eventually that cat's going to move on to, on to the steps, and then it's going to move into the shrubbery around the front porch, and eventually that cat's going to be out in the neighborhood running around having a great old time. So That's is, what it's like when you explore this. Okay. Take so it easy. Just be patient. And, mm-hmm. and um, explore and, it a little bit at a time. Be, become more and more confident and secure in what you're doing, and you'll be able to branch further and further out, and eventually you'll be doing things without any fear whatsoever and uh, limitless. Wow, that sounds great. Um, so we have, so you're, uh, after you get to the point where you're out of body, then you can begin to, you'll know, you'll, you'll begin to experiment yourself with going further and further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And and, and be, because you haven't really um, explored the levels of the, uh, the the bandwidth, I should say, of your vibrational range, you haven't explored how far you can go, you'll, you'll just do a physical thing. You'll be in that muddy area, and you'll maybe go visit some friends. And that's a great thing to do, because I did that too. I went to visit friends and, and observed what their locations looked like, came back, and I wrote all this down, and then I called them up where I, I saw the, the locations in the physical and it matched what I wrote down. So like, that tells like you right the, there. Like where the bed is, where the table was. Yeah, that head. tells you right there, oh, my, it's not a dream because you should not know this information. Mm-hmm. You should not have been able to see this over, uh, over, over many, many occasions. So that tells you it's not a dream, and that's something that I recommend you do. But eventually there's other things you can do, and you can start moving up that that uh, from that muddy area to just the cloudy area and what happens is is the physical world that that your house your bedroom and all all of that ceases to be perceivable and what i mean by that is that you may not have moved anywhere but because your vibration has changed to a higher level those molecules are it's like turning a radio dial to a higher station you mm-hmm. no longer can hear the lower one mm-hmm. and now you're tuned to a higher one mm-hmm. but you can so always get you start back. perceiving non-physical locations rather than the the lower 
uh, physical muddy area in that beaker we talked about earlier. Is that where you, uh, the space where you can go back and uh, there is no time and you can perceive other lives and uh, past lives? Well, there's no, once you leave the physical body, even if you disconnect neurologically from the physical body, meaning you wake up and you find yourself in that paralysis, mm-hmm. you've already transcended, transcended the time barrier. Wow. There already is no time. You can have an experience that feels like eight hours in a matter of ten minutes. Uh-huh. There's no time at all. You're, you, 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 when you transition out of the physical, you become ageless and timeless right then. Now, as you move further on, you don't have to go anywhere. Remember, we're not talking about physical movement here. We're talking about a state of consciousness. You, that's why you can just meditate and achieve these things, too. It's all about the state of consciousness. It's not a, you know, out of body is one aspect. I mean, you can, it's like a fork in the road. road. When you get to that one fork, you can choose clairvoyance, clairaudience, uh, clairsentient. You can have an out of body experience. You can do remote viewing. Uh, there's a whole bunch of avenues that open up. I just happen to, to be thrusted, because I didn't choose it, it chose me. I happen to be thrusted into the out-of-body area. Um, in the few minutes that we have left, I was hoping if we could touch on uh, extraterrestrials, uh, alien abduction, and, and its connection to your paranormal research investigations, and also uh, if you think there's any connection from an out-of-body perspective. In other words, um, I've, I've heard that you know people say, ETs refer to us as containers. Mm-hmm. And so then that m- makes you wonder, well, containers for, for whom? And, and is it for them? And I mean, do you, do you, uh, what is your sense about ETs? Well, um, one of the things I don't do is I don't listen to secondhand stories about ETs and what they're supposed to be doing I, because that's non-scientific. Mm-hmm. I just can't do that. Everybody so, has their own belief system. And I, and when you're doing research, you're not interested in a belief system. That's why people say, "Do I?" They ask me, "Do you believe in UFOs?" And I tell them, "That's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if I believe. It's about the data and the evidence." Mm, that's that's you know? a good way to to be. Yeah, it it is. That's just the only way to to do this. I'm not trying to. I, I mean, I want to find the Holy Grail and take a picture of a spacecraft and the alien shaking somebody's hand and and all that and exchanging some you know some green cigars or something. <laughs> I want to be able to do that, but I'm not going to let my let my belief and and desires affect the data that I collect sure. and the posture that I take on understanding what I've collected. Okay. I'm not going to let that happen. Sure. So um, there are some cases where um, people who have had, they talk about uh, being paralyzed at night and uh, visitors coming into the room. Uh, Whitley Schrieber described it in his book, Communion, mm-hmm. coming into his room and sometimes being abducted. Well, there also are some connections between the out-of-body experience and the paralysis that people experience and having a being there in the room and it not being an alien. Right. So in some of those cases... Because you can mix in dream material with the out-of-body experience, and that means if you think it's an alien, you're going to see an alien because you're going to kind of create it. In some of those cases, that may be what's happening, and it may not be uh, an extraterrestrial at all. But then there are the physical cases where we did an experiment uh, or uh, an investigation where a woman called us, and she said that she had some x-rays from Kaiser 
that she wanted us to take a look at. So we go out to her location. And we, we, and, and we, have, we have about a minute. So Okay, and she basically we take a look at the x-rays, and she's got implants in her inside of her. And one of them they removed, and we got a chance to do some uh, testing on it, and we could not find out what the, the substance was made of, and it was magnetized, and there was no explanation, and she had missing time. Mm-hmm. So we're given all those factors there is something going on, whether it's extraterrestrial. I didn't see a spaceship, mm-hmm. but there was an implant, and I saw the material and the, and the, the actual whatever it was. So there, and Kaiser doesn't understand how it got where it was. So there are some cases where people are having these type of phenomena happen to them that need to be explored yeah. further. And um, we're in the process of doing that. And unfortunately, all of this is like peeling back an onion. It takes time. Well, thank you so much today for uh, joining us. I've really enjoyed the conversation. It has been my, my pleasure. Uh, I appreciate uh, being able to share this information with your listeners. And uh, anytime you want me to come back, you just holler and okay. I'll be here. All right. All right. And next time you bring your EVPs. I would love to do that. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much. And I'll talk to you later. Okay. You take care, Andy. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, thanks for listening to Wisdom Radio. It's always fun talking to Albert. And I'm going to leave you today with a reading called Spirits With You here on wisdomradio.org. And be sure to uh, go to my website where you can subscribe to my podcast on any number of platforms. This is Andy Haidt. And until next time, remember who you are and what you know. Here's the reading. By the way, I'll put this up on the website as well. I am with those in the spirit realm. We are those who have gone before. The source of all creation looks to us to help the living navigate and stay in touch with the divine in their lives. We can only offer help and guidance when you quiet your mind and choose to hear us or sense us through your intuition. Find others on the crossroad of change and reach out to them. Look for them. My words are coming to you as we enter a special age, an energetic age that will enable those who wish to see, hear, and feel the truth in their lives. You are needed now. Don't hold back. Step forward. Offer yourself in loving kindness to others on the cusp. You will know what to do if you learn to listen with a loving and open heart. Take care.